So years ago, the family and I went on a beach vacation into Florida. I love beach vacations. And um, we decided to go parasailing. And so got on the boat, went way out into the ocean, and the three kids went first. And they got harnessed in, and you know how parasail works. You get harnessed in, and your this parachute is hooked to a rope, and as soon as the boat starts moving, you just start going up in the air. And uh, when you get to the, the, when the rope or, or cable is as far as it can go, then you just kind of, you're up in the air, and it's amazing. And so the kids did it, and then Janelle and I uh, strapped in, and we did it. And next thing, just straight up in the air. And uh, all of a sudden, I noticed that the uh, thing that we were strapped to, it was, it was the little loophole it was tied in a knot. We were being held by someone's ability to tie a knot in a rope. And I went, I just put my, hand, my life in the hands of this knot and the guy who tied the knot. It was a little sobering moment for a second. And I think sometimes in our walks, we think, has the Lord really got this? Like, is, is he really got, is he really, you know, my stable, Lord? Because sometimes you seem far away. Sometimes I can't hear anything, and life just seems to be, be chaotic. And I would say, yes, the Lord's got you, even if it feels like you're being held together, you know, with, with, with a knot. So we're, we're trekking through this series called My Two Sons, and we're going through Paul's letter to Timothy, his second letter, and then we're going to go right into Titus. And the reason it's My Two Sons is Paul called both of those guys his sons in the faith, because he literally discipled them. He, he taught them about the gospel and ministry and poured into them. And so the theme kind of has been that ver- the verse that's going to be taught next week about keeping the faith, fighting the good fight, keeping the faith. And so with that cue, it's been keep the main thing, the main thing, keep on keeping on, keep focused. And today, keep grounded, stay grounded. Uh, we're going to go through just the third chapter and chunk by chunk a little bit this, this morning, but the word grounded, it means firmly established, fixed, settled, like that knot. That thing was firmly fitted and fas- you know, fastened so that we, we wouldn't fall to our death, <laughs> so to speak. And, and knowing this word that Paul gives Timothy, knowing the context is so important that the church was experiencing great persecution. They were in crisis. Uh, the, the, the world for Christians then was 10 times chaotic as, as it is, you know, what we're experiencing right now. So Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel. Think about that. I mean, what kind of darkness of the mind do we have when we imprison people or torture them or beat them because they won't believe what we we believe. Sadly, the church, Christianity, has that black eye of like the Crusades and other things, somehow thinking that the kingdom of God comes through the sword. No way. That's not how Jesus works. So anytime somebody's ever preaching Jesus and let's go convert them by the sword or convert them by the gun, they don't know Jesus. Like that's not how how Jesus rolls. But over, over the period of time, there's been hundreds of people who said that they knew the day and time that Jesus was going to return. 
The first guy recorded is somewhere around 500 A.D., and he predicted the exact day that Jesus was going to come. Obviously, it didn't happen. And then hundreds and hundreds more. We talked a little bit about this last week. And so when you think of the return of Christ, we often use the phrase, the last days. The return of Christ and the last days are kind of joined at the hip there. What are the last days? What are the last days? Paul says this in verse 1. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. So in a sense, we've always been in the last days. But what, what really, what's the depth of that? How do we dig that? So I would say there's two ways to understand the phrase, the last days. The first one, we put it this way. The last days is the time period between Jesus' finished work on earth and his ultimate literal return to the earth. So when Jesus ascended back to the Father, in a sense, the last days began. The writer of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, or verse 2 says that God used to speak to us through the prophets, but now in these last days speaks to us by his Son. So in in the the writer of Hebrews' mind, they were already in the last days. And you see that throughout several of the epistles, Uh, 1 Peter, James, the book of Acts. But the other way to look at the last days is the last days are also the actual days closest to Jesus' return. The actual time, chronology of when those last days are are actual. And Jesus said something fascinating in, in Matthew. Matthew 24, verse 14, he says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So there's something to God's time clock. God's outside of time and space, but in his, his, what Jesus said there, when every tribe, every tongue, every nation has heard the gospel, then the end will come. We can kind of hang our hat on that. All the other things become speculation, especially when you try to read America in the year 2020 into the book of Revelation. Like, that's bad to do that, and, and we, we tend to do that a lot, but... So are we in the last days? I would say yes, maybe, and yes <laughs> is the proper way, way to look at it. We're all in our last days and that we're just a breath away from being face-to-face with Jesus anyway. Our personal last days could be around the corner. We, 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 don't, we don't know on that. But it's interesting. He says this will be a testimony, the, the gospel of the kingdom as a testimony to all the nations. Nation is a people group. So a people group is nations, languages, and tribes. He says when every people group has been reached, then the end will come. I did some research, and currently there are 17,423 people groups, nations, tribes, or or languages in the world. The world has 7.75 billion people in it. So... That is comprised of over 17,000. And then you have, of those 17,423, 7,402 of those are unreached. An unreached people group is a a, a tribe, tongue, or nation, or language that does not have any presence of of the church within its, its, its community, within its area, whatever it is. We still have... 
um, 7,000. So that seems like a staggering number. That's 41% of the world's population does not have the presence of a local church within its nation. That's a, lot, that's a staggering number to me. However, 25 years ago when I was in Bible school in a missions class, and I remember these numbers talking about unreached people groups. Chris, you remember that in Roger Gerard's class, right? We were in missions. I think, I think you may have had him too. But he talked about that number of, of 17,000 people groups. That number of how many people have been reached has doubled in 25 years. So people, are, people groups are coming to Jesus every day. And so I put on here a prayer link for you um, from one of the missions agencies, and you can do it online. But this Joshua Project has something that, where you can pray for a different nation, different language every day. It'll tell you a little bit about that people group, why are they unreached, and, and to, for us to be praying. We want this to happen. We want Jesus to return. We want him to come and set all things straight. Like we're longing for that. And so he's saying, participate with me. Pray. Get people reached. Get people to hear the gospel. The second thing is, what will the, the last days be like? Paul, Paul says, in the last days, it's going to be very difficult. Here's what he says. He says, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will, be slander, they will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. That kind of sounds like today to me. <laughs> sounds like the nightly news. So we have to discern, Lord, are we in the last days? It sure looks like this. And there's in one way, maybe it's always kind of been that way. There's always been terrible times because of fallen humanity and brokenness. But man, it seems to be elevating. It seems to be escalating in all that I just read to you there. I would say whether, whether or not this is describing today or not, let's don't contribute to this as people. Let's be the opposite of what he says it's going to be like in the end times. Let's just make that, that commitment that we're not going to contribute to this. And we have to remember that behind all darkness is Ephesians 6 says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. That's what's behind all of what I just read. The devil is behind the darkness. The evil one is behind the, the, the darkness that Paul is describing here. But the gospel is beautiful because in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus, the word, he became flesh and he is the light of the world and the light has come into the darkness. So everywhere you and I go with Christ in us, we're illuminating, when we're, when we're being like him, we're illuminating his light. He said he was the light of the world. Whoever 
follows him will not walk in darkness. That's a great promise. But he also told the disciples and us that we're the light of the world. We, sometimes we think, ah, you haven't watched me drive. You haven't seen me at work. <laughs> you haven't seen how, how I treat people. Well, let's, let's, be, let's let the conviction of the Spirit be real in us and let him change us in how we behave. Our minds are, are fallen. We are thinking about God. That's where when we talk about being fallen and, and walking in the sin nature of the flesh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 7, he says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Then he goes on and in, in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. So if you're wrestling with somebody in your life that does not, is, does not have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding their life, don't expect them to act like Jesus, right? We shouldn't expect people who don't know Jesus to act like Jesus. And we, we, but that, that's not an excuse for people you know, that we don't you know, protect ourselves or, or have boundaries or any of that. I'm not saying that, but I think we have to remember what's, on, what's behind it. Because he goes on, he says, they can't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. That's a great scripture. We have the mind of Christ. You have the mind. It means you have the ability to learn how to think like Jesus, to have his thought life lead your life. So how do we stay grounded? This theme of of being grounded. I think Paul gives three things here. The first thing I think he, as we're going to read, is don't be gullible to bad and false teaching. Don't be gullible to bad and false teaching. One of the problems they were experiencing in the church was not only persecution, but counterfeit teachers coming in and teaching something other than the pureness of the gospel. He says, that, talking about the people to stay away from, he says, they are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers opposed the truth, just as Janius and Jambres opposed Moses. Those were the guys, the false magicians, who when Moses' staff turned into a snake and they had their own little show that they tried to put on. He says, they have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. But they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janius and Jambres. Counterfeit, you know, teaching, counterfeit, when somebody wants to spot counterfeit money, it's not working good for me right now. When they want to spot counterfeit money, they don't study counterfeit, they study real money in order, they, they know the real thing like the back of their hand so they can spot a counterfeit like that. 
With us, we need to be so familiar with the truth that when somebody comes in with something that's counterfeit, we can spot it. There's a lot of... The majority of people who are picked off by cults, and a cult is a, a, a teaching that reduces Jesus to a creative being or does not have the Trinity, the Father, understanding God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or that Jesus is a created being or something other than the literal Son of God or being God himself. People who are, are, are sucked into cults are usually people who know just enough about the Bible to be dangerous. As I said last week, let's move from, it says somewhere in the Bible that God helps those who help themselves, right? You're paying attention, it doesn't say that in the Bible. God, that's not a Bible verse, yet most people in America think it is. Let's move to be people who correctly handle the word of truth and not just letting me or somebody teaching, you know, teach you the word, but you learn it for yourself. We all need that. But people get picked off and they get seduced into this cultish thinking about Jesus. I remember when I was early on in, in, in my walk and I was going to Bible school, and at the time I was selling insurance with my dad and he had an insurance company and we worked out of his basement. And one day there was a knock on the door and I went and answered the door and, and there was this lady and this little girl. And they, they wanted to tell me about the kingdom of God and the watchtower and you know, the whole who Jehovah really was. And I went, you're Jehovah Witness. She was like, oh, what gave it away? You know, I mean, the way she was talking. And um, I, I remember knowing just enough that, that we differed in the sense that they didn't have, they thought Jesus, think Jesus is Michael the archangel from the Old Testament. And he's Michael the archangel. Archangel incarnate. And I said, Jesus is God. And we began to talk about the Trinity and the gospel and so on. And, and uh, she said, well, would you like to talk about this more sometime? And I said, um, I said sure, that'd be great. Because I kind of felt like I had won the argument, <laughs> so to speak. Had a little theological pride going on there. Hopefully I've matured now. And um, so we left. And about three days later, I was uh, getting a glass of water at their kitchen sink. All of a sudden, this van pulls up, and they brought out the big guns for me, and the elders came out, and they started coming out like a SWAT team or something, man. I was like, oh, about ready to, you know, looking through the shade, should I answer this? Am I ready to get into this? And, and uh, I answered the door and sat on the front porch and, and talked. It was freezing, and uh, I remember that, but I remember talking, and, and we, you know, I don't mean this proud, but I guess I held my own, so to speak, maybe made him question a little bit about his thoughts. And, um, but after he left, I went into a spiritual depression. You ever been in one of those? You're not sure what you believe. You're not sure if this is real. Um, you just can't feel God. He feels 100 miles away. And, and what happened, though, in that questioning, well, how do I know I'm really right? How do I know we didn't just make this up? And that was what sent me into that depression. And then I went into the Word, and, and I didn't read commentaries. I didn't read books. I just read Scripture over and over, and it, throughout the Old Testament, saw Jesus, you know, his, his existing from eternity past, that he is God, the Trinity, 
and really began to understand the things that are the essential truths of our faith, the Apostles' Creed type truths. And I was like, okay, I get it. I believe this. And I went from it says somewhere in the Bible to you want me to show you where it says this in the Bible. And it, it helped, me, helped me get grounded and not be gullible to, to false teaching. So if you want to stay grounded in this day and age, you got to know what you believe and what you're resting your faith on. Second thing to stay grounded, I think Paul would say, is don't be shocked persecution. Don't be shocked by persecution. Again, the early church, they were being killed because they said, yes, I follow Jesus Christ. No, I'm not going to recant that. Can you imagine if somebody came in here with, you know, the army or the police and said, do you deny Jesus Christ? If you don't, you go to prison. Like that happens in the world right now. That happens in places throughout the Middle East. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But Paul, he says this, he says, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, do you say might or will? He says, will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish, they will deceive others, and will themselves be deceived. Everyone who names the name of Jesus, who desires to follow him, is going to experience some level of persecution. And in America, we just don't get it. We're not, we think that we don't say, can't say Merry Christmas at a Starbucks is persecution. When we got brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are being tortured because they follow Jesus. Like we have to, we have to remember, I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand up for things of that nature, don't hear me saying that, but from our perspective of what it means to be persecuted, and I think since we don't experience it here in America, we need to learn to empathize and pray for those in the world and the parts of the church who do experience. Hebrews 13.3, it's not on your notes, but write that down. He says, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoner. That you were literally, like when you pray and you think of people in the world, see yourself in your, in your mind sitting next to them in chains. I think that's important. We need that, that empathetic understanding. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So we have to remember that. that. That persecution can come from in a family tension. Somebody thinks you're a wacko Christian, you know, at work, or who knows? I mean, it's, it's very subtle, but we're not being thrown in jail. We're not being killed and tortured. All the apostles, 11 of the 12 apostles suffered death, a martyrdom. They were killed for, for saying King Jesus. And think about that. They tried to kill John, but church history says that he was, he was rescued. He, they put him in a vat of boiling uh, oil, and he just, like Daniel in the, the lion's den and in the fire, gave, gave him that kind of, you know, miracle work going on there. 
But the persecuted church today, there's another website that I want to show you. Um, that's from Voice of the Martyrs. If you don't know much about what I'm talking about, and you you've maybe haven't heard, I would encourage you, I'm going to do it myself and, and, and think about it. If you go to this website, you can read about people who are in prison for their faith, and you can learn how to pray for them. You also can send them a note of encouragement. You ever wanted to encourage someone who's in prison for following Jesus? This is your opportunity. You can also petition their government to let them go, to free them. So this is an active, actual way that you can participate and not just say, well, Lord, protect them. You, you can kind of feel like you're, you're involved because I really, we don't have a clue of what they're going through, but man, I think God wants us to have empathy because it's a reality. All right, the last thing to stay grounded is do stay grounded in the word. That's what Paul talks about here next. He says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I think a way to kind of illustrate that is, let's always remember Jesus is the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the path of life. He's the path to eternal life. And so the word teaches us how to get on that path. We, he said, and think about it, he said the scriptures are inspired by God. What was he talking about? He wasn't talking about the New Testament. He was talking about how the, the Hebrew scriptures from, from Genesis to Malachi, Malachi if you're Italian, but from Genesis to Malachi, he, he, the, he said there's enough to know about Jesus and the gospel in those scriptures because the New Testament didn't exist at that point in time. Important. So the, the word teaches us, and I'm not saying don't read the New Testament. Of course, I'm saying read the New Testament. But Paul's point was there was enough to know. Jesus said that over and over. The Scriptures testify of me. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures testify of him. So it teaches us how to get on the path. It shows us when we fall off the path. It shows us how to get back on the path. And then it shows us how to stay on the path. It's important. Jesus said in... John 8, verses 31 through 32. He says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I think that's one of the most important verses, one of the most important things Jesus says. If you continue in my word, think about, if you just... I recently just bought a Bible in a translation that I've always wanted to read, and I'm a little OCD about the words in red that Jesus, I like my translation to have the words in red. That's just the way I like it. And, but this didn't, this particular version doesn't do the words of Christ in red. 
And so it's actually kind of been a cool exercise. I'm going through with a red pencil and highlighting the things that Jesus says in red pencil. So I'm going to make my own red letter Bible. And it's actually kind of a cool thing because I'm having to continue in his word. Learn what he said. Practice what he preached. Jesus practiced what he preached. And he said, if you do what I tell you to do, if you, follow, if you set your heart to follow my instruction, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And it's walking in his, his freedom. If you're needing freedom today, you're not walking in freedom in your life, then you need the truth. The truth is a person, and we, we exercise and act out on his words. Jesus practiced what he preached. In the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, love your enemies, do good to those who, who harm you, etc., etc. He went out and he healed the lepers right after that. He touched the lepers. He healed the centurion's uh, servant, which was crazy because the centurions were Romans who kept Israel, the Jews, oppressed. And yet Jesus went and loved his enemy. So he tells us to go and do the same. Now, when you think about, I had this thought drop into my, my mind about a month ago. I've been pondering this. And I hope this helps, helps you. We all have a worldview. Your worldview is the set of lenses that you interpret life through. Everybody has a worldview. The guy in Papua New Guinea who's never seen a white man or any modern technology or whatever, he has a worldview, whether he realizes it or not. We all have a worldview in which we in, interpret life. Ideology is a word that gets thrown around. Your ideology is our ideas that form our understanding about what's best for society, politics, etc. That's your ideology. And then there's theology. Your th theology is the study of God, theos, the word, Greek word for God. And so it's your understanding of God, your understanding of who he is, the scripture, etc., and how he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. So what we typically do is we let our worldview affect our ideology, and then our worldview and ideology shape our theology. And that's so backwards. We need to know who God is how he's revealed himself, what he says the purpose of our lives are, what the future holds, etc., and then let our theology shape our worldview, having a, a gospel eyes to see the world, to see ourselves, to see others, and then let that shape, make your decisions ideologically. We've reversed that. And can you see the problems in the world? Why? That is, that was like a light bulb moment. And if, if, if you want to talk more about it, I'd be glad to, because I think it's something we need to really uh, re-look re at in the world that we live in. So I want to finish with this. Three little takeaways, three challenges. One of three. Do at least one of three or all three of these. The first one would be, would you commit to reading a chapter a day in the Bible if you're not in the habit of doing so? because that's how you're going to stay grounded, staying in the Word. So if you're not in a habit of daily intake of Scripture, would you walk away this morning and say, I'm going to commit to do that? 
Maybe it's listening to it. Start there if you need to. The Word of God we have so much access to. The second thing would be, would you commit to pray for the unreached people groups of the world? Would you do that? Or would you commit to pray for the persecuted church? Maybe it's all three. Maybe it's at least one. But let's walk away from this with something to put into practice, something to, to, to put our head to the plow, so to speak, and participate. Jesus does not need us to do anything for him, but the amazing thing about God is he's, he created us to participate in what he's doing in the world. It's not just missionary or church staff. or We're all called to participate in what he's up to in the world. These are way, tangible ways that we can do that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we're grounded in you. That we have an unshakable hope in the gospel. We treasure you, Lord Jesus. You are the treasure. Father, your love is what we're all always longing for. Help us to receive it, to know it, experience it. Help us to give your love, Father, back to a broken world that's angry and ticked off right now. Help us to, to be love and your light. Holy Spirit, we want to experience your fellowship, experience your presence, your leading. God, I pray for those in the room right now that are hurting. They would, they would, they would walk out today with fresh eyes to see their life, to see you. And Lord, we trust you today. We acknowledge that you're the Lord of, of, of everything and you're the Savior of the world. And we say yes and amen in Jesus' name. Amen.